You long for some quality time with the people you love. So you resolve to invite the ladies over to your house for an afternoon of fun and conversation. You prepare your rooms and bake some cookies and you plan out your Bible study. The ladies arrive, some early and some late, but all are present and cheerful. 30 minutes into your meeting, one of your guests has an allergic reaction that prompts an ambulance ride. It turns out they were allergic to an ingredient that you used in that batch of cookies you made. They survive and are feeling better the next day. But concerned and feeling guilty for your contribution to their tragedy, you offer to pay for part of the large ambulance bill because no rides from Priest Lake are cheap, just so you know. Okay. And they kindly accept. But the next week, you find yourself served with paperwork demanding that you pay the bill in the entirety. In entirety. What should you do? Jerry has always been a blast at the church meetings. He has great ideas and brings a valuable insight with his strategies to approach evangelism in the local community. He often receives lots of encouragement, and the church frequently consults his advice in their local mission strategies. But one meeting, it happened. Jerry had a bad idea. Although most of the church body was on board with his proposal, the board decided not to contribute funds to his newest endeavor. Jerry was hurt, and feeling the cold shoulder of the board, he roused up some of the people of the church, some of which proposed he attain a lawyer to address the grievances he had with the board. Things got messy, people took sides, and the funds of the church meant for those missions ended up going to legal fees. It's Easter. The most sacred of church celebrations, we've been planning for months to prepare a sunrise service, a breakfast, the Easter egg hunt, and a strong worship service. Everybody collaborated on this one. And one member has even offered something extra special. They have a picturesque view on their property for us to celebrate on. They set up hay bales, a bonfire, and a 20-foot rugged cross that the sun will illuminate at just the right angle. The morning arrives and the worship is powerful as the whole church waits for that warm sun to rise over the mountain. Kids are playing tag nearby and coffee is being distributed as those last few minutes stretch out over the big moment. Then, screams break the cold. One of the kids has tripped and broken a leg. There was some forgotten barbed wire in the grass along the edge of an old fence line that snagged one of the boys as he played. Parents rush him off to the hospital, and the owner of the property finds himself the owner of a new lawsuit. That last one actually happened to Beth's family. They sued the church, right? Who did they sue? The city? Oh, the city. Well, let's elaborate. The city allowed you guys to use the property or what? My, <laughs> My family had sold our farm to some the city for our water rights. And um, then they allowed us to hold the sunrise service um, at the property still. But that was the last year it happened because a child got hurt, like you said. And then the, I don't believe it was the family. I believe the insurance company then sued the uh city who owned the property mm. for his injuries. Yeah. That was the last year that that was offered, that tradition, on their farm. 
This week we are back to the subject of church conflict. You know Paul's fired up when he whips out the rhetorical questions of things that you should already know the answer to. The church in Corinth he planted has lots of issues addressed in this letter, and the root of it all comes to this. They are acting like they're cultured, not as disciples of Jesus. These issues point to eternal, internal sin in their lives of the believers who have been corrupted by their culture, and they return to their old ways, their old lives. Paul is direct in his approach when he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? I think there's a lot that you could unpack in there about some facts of the future in terms of our position and the authority and, um, and this responsibility that we are given in heaven. Verse 4. Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. So those problems keep stacking. Not only are you having issues with each other, not only are you taking each other to court over these petty issues, but you're also doing it in front of the whole world. You're doing it in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? That's worth circling right there. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Rather than what? Rather than hurting or damaging your testimony, other believers, the church, all the above. Verse 8, instead you cheat, instead you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters, that is, those people who are closest to you. That's a harsh rebuke that Paul gives them. It's quite the spanking. Paul, in love, is calling them out. Like in chapter 1, he is telling them their actions are evil and worldly. They are not living the lives of God's holy people. They have weak faith, and it is displayed in their lack of grace and mercy and submission to the judgment of God's people. I hope that this and the previous chapter shape and give you a full understanding of what it means to judge, right? There's a wrong way to do it, and there is a right way to do it. There is a proper context and an improper. There's one of, of uh, condemnation that denies grace and the gospel to people, and there's one that accurately judges the actions that leads people to repentance, and one that, 
that uh, evaluates and assesses for the purpose of um, reconciliation and redemption. And so I hope that both of those chapter, these chapters will help shape that. Because if we get into this idea where we think, okay, well, we don't judge anything or any, anything at any time, right? We talked about that a couple, more than a month ago now, right? Like you judge the milk before you drink it when you take it out of the fridge, right? You judge friends before you share the secrets of your heart with them. You judge a person before you decide to marry them. Right, like those, those are good evaluations, good judgments that must be made. Um, contrast that to, to this kind of condemnation that de- denies grace to people and is hypocritical. But the Corinthians, they have weak faith, and it is displayed in their lack of grace, mercy, and submission to the judgment of God's people. In the name of justice, these believers are fighting for their rights. But at what cost are they fighting for their rights? Their relationships are being damaged. The church is being hurt. And their testimony is being tainted by their lack of love towards one another. Why would anyone want to have anything to do with the church? I mean, this is what I would assess. How can I go there to find the love of God when, I can't, when they can't even love each other? In Corinth, for a little bit more context, the court system was accessible only to the upper elite. I mean, I guess you could compare that to modern days where if there was some kind of civil lawsuit, right? Whoever has the most money has the best lawyer. And so real justice was kind of out of the reach of all the people and was kind of reserved. That favor was reserved for the people who had position and money And they were using that position and they were using the resources that God had given them not to advance the gospel, but to hurt each other. So instead of resolving issues personally, they would go to the courts and sway things in their favor with bribes or social connections. But essentially they are bypassing the established authority of God in their lives and relationships They had peers and elders they could go to to help reconcile their issues with each other, but they have ignored God and their family to get what they want, to get what they deserve, right? And it's possible that they they did deserve those things. It's possible that somebody did wrong them, but it's the method and the approach in which they attempted to attain that justice that was hurtful. That was damaging. Let's look at ourselves for a moment. You might not have any pending civil cases against anybody else in this room. But that can trickle down into how we engage in conflict with one another. Or even as the church as a whole more broadly. How would you solve a problem you have with somebody In the church. Church being the people, not the building. How would you solve a problem with the leadership or the worship or even the whole church? There are some easy and immediate ways that people often resort to. Often people will just leave the family. Can you imagine if somebody of your family just like got up and just left? 
your brother just got up one day and was like, oh, I think I'm done, and just left your family. Some of us have had that situation happen in our, and it caused huge long-term problems in our lives. Some people will immediately maybe go to social media or all their friends or their favorite coffee spot and air all their grievances to the world. Maybe not to a judge, but to the world directly. Hey, Facebook, guess what happened? Some stuff is really messed up. Even if it's messed up, is, is that the best way to approach those problems? Is that the best way to really seek reconciliation? It's like if, if my brother like hits me and I go, Mom! Right? Well, am I really learning to solve problems myself? Is it really going to be resolved in a good way? I, I find that the, the blessing of the internet is that everybody has a voice and that everybody is given a pair of ears to hear that voice. And it would be a wonderful and great thing if we all use that, led by the Holy Spirit, to exercise our voice. But in our nature, we, we seek outside counsel to justify ourselves or to justify how we feel about things, or even may legitimately uh, about problems that exist. And this is not talking about uh, disregarding those problems. This is not talking about not seeking justice for those things, but it's, quest- it's bringing into question at what cost and what method are you using to seek that justice. So if there's problems in the church, if there's problems in the family, they need to be addressed. They need to be approached. But there is a proper way for those things to be approached. They're not hidden or swept under the rug. But everybody, every time somebody turns the toilet paper on the wrong, on the wrong side, you know what I mean? Like, we don't all whip out the pitchforks and gather a posse. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> You're laughing, but that's what we do. That is what we do. That's how we approach things. Instead of being like, Beth, I have an issue with something you did, and I'd like to tell you about it so we can talk about it. I go, hey, Brian, I have an issue with something Beth did, and I don't like it. Um, would you like me to tell No, don't tell her. Don't tell her, please. Um, <laughs> Mm. She does, but we work those out personally. (laughs) So when you have a family issue, do you go straight to everyone else? It's none of their business. It is your responsibility to work it out among yourselves. If we had a church problem, wouldn't the community expect us to solve it ourselves? They have no say in our family here, and their opinion that they do have is irrelevant. And the reason it's irrelevant is because we live by the spirit that they don't have. We shape ourselves around God's word, which they have rejected. 
So how can we seek a consensus on what is right or wrong from them or from the world? We make our judgments by what? By scripture, yeah, by the word of God. In the military, here's another example. In the military, there's something called the chain of command. And its purpose is not just to like keep the keep the man down. The purpose is to is to keep order when there would be a lot of chaos. Because in the military they have a lot of people, which means they have a lot of opinions. And so the way things are addressed is on the lowest level first. So if I have an issue with somebody in my squad, right, I'm going to talk to them first. If that doesn't work, I'm going to talk to my team leader. If that doesn't work, then I'm going to talk to my squad leader. If that doesn't work, then me and my squad leader are going to go to my platoon leader. And if that doesn't work, then we're going to go to the commander, right? There's a process that keeps order. A lot of commanders have what's called an open door policy, and that's to keep, that's to keep the oppression of some lower leaders from, like, you know, oppressing the peasants so that nothing ever gets fixed. But the open-door policy can be abused. Don't abuse the necessary process that God has put in place. That is, we are capable, we are fully capable of making those judgments and decisions ourselves. In a lot of ways, our elders are very underutilized in that way. Um, I may be wrong, but historically, um, I mean, the church has been the, the record keeper of marriages and, and the counselor of families and the resolver of conflicts and the peacemakers of the world. There's a ministry called Peacemakers Ministries, which I have a lot of respect for. Um, I think Brian... Noble, I believe is his name, is the, is the current executive director of that. And I have a lot of respect for him. He goes all over the country. There's like an online forum and you can just go, I have a family issue. And, or churches have conflict issues and they will fly all over the country to go to those churches and to listen to every single person's complaint. And so they can be um, mediators in resolving those conflicts in churches all over the country. We have been equipped with all that we need to be successful as a church and as a, as a family. And so we need to rely on those resources that we've been given, that namely the, the body, that we're diverse, that we have been given spiritual wisdom, that we have been given uh, the knowledge of God's word, all of that combined together. So there are some big consequences for not doing things in the way that God designs. And we can see that you know, with sin in our lives or in <coughs> lots of different areas. But in this case, it's going to equal, the consequences are going to equal not only sin against each other and sin against God, but also a damaged reputation and disunity in the body of Christ. So we need to be very careful how we approach 
our conflict with one another and not to air our dirty laundry out for the world to try to resolve and judge, but to to be responsible judges ourselves, to be able to re- reconcile things and to seek justice. And if we stop to think about it, if it's the world's favor that we want, if we want them on our side of something, whose favor did we really get? In our personal conflicts, there's room for growth as well. Instead of complaining to our spouse or friends or people outside our small fellowship, we should be adults. We need to be approachable, able to receive concerns and praise alike, open to good communication, and like Brian of Peacemakers Ministry teaches, not afraid of healthy conflict. Being afraid of conflict, being afraid of healthy conflict, is what leads to those longer, bigger, built-up issues. That is our biggest problem in the church. We try so hard not to hurt each other that we go to everyone else to solve our problems. We are wimps when we need to listen or share grievances that we have with each other or the whole family. Instead of taking our hurt and our problems to God, we look for justice in the wrong place. We are so afraid of conflict, we even have an anonymous suggestion box for your use out here in the fellowship hall so you don't have to tell me how boring my sermons are to my face you can just put them in a little box that's just a made-up example most people are brave enough to tell me that my sermons are boring to my face but really when it comes to conflict we don't need to have a hard shell or tough skin that reflects everything We need to have a good understanding of the gospel so that we can be full of forgiveness and grace and that we can receive forgiveness and grace, able to heal when we're hurt and able to forgive others in a supernatural way. Through the gospel we have received, we are empowered to be grace givers. We can be hurt. We can be cheated. We can be taken advantage of because our health and our healing and our prosperity come from God. We can be cheated because our treasure and our inheritance is a heavenly one, promised and secured by God. It can never be stolen. This world and its people cannot take away what God has given us. Our true treasure, our true value. This is why we don't write policies on this in our constitution and bylaws. Because it's expected of all of us as disciples of Christ to live as disciples of Christ. Seeking unity and peace and love for one another. 
And the word of God directs us to do this and how to do this. A side note I want to share. We have professional, trained, and qualified mediators in our church. People who have volunteered to do that. That's actually Bob and Sandy Mansfield right now. If that's something that you are interested in in being a part of or maybe being trained to do, I'm sure they would love for you to join them. But they are a good resource. They are a good uh, step to, to, to go to if you have some issues that need dealt with and you're not sure how to walk that path. As you're thinking about all this, I'm sure you probably think in advance that you would resolve not to ever behave like this. Never to attack Paul like like, uh, Paul is warning us against. But understand, I don't think most of us would premeditate this kind of hurt towards one another. It spawns from our nature. A need to protect ourselves and preserve our rights and what belongs to us, what we deserve. First John 2, 9-11 says, Anyone who claims to be in the light, but hates a brother or sister, is still in the what? Mm-hmm. Anyone who loves their brother and sister is in, in the light, And there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. They can't see their own faults. They can't see the sin that they're causing out of their desperation for justice, out of their desperation for fairness. The friendliest and most loyal dog will bite you to protect itself when it's injured. And so this is something we need to be warned about and to guard ourselves on, to have that self-evaluation going, to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit so he can focus in the heart when we catch ourselves in this state. Paul identifies this lawsuit issue that he's been talking about, and he sandwiched it between two lists of sinful people. This is for all readers to recognize and be warned that if we find ourselves seeking justice while forsaking those spiritually closest to us, our brothers and sisters, we will not find peace in the restitution. We will have sinned in an egregious way towards God. We will have been deceived. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. So we're continuing on this main passage that we're in. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with other men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. Were means what? Past tense. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. How can you be cheated? 
How can you be wronged? How can you accept the justice of God instead of some kind of immediate gratification? Because you were washed, because you were sanctified, because you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. We are already preserved. There is nothing here that can snatch our lives because we are co-heirs with Christ. We have everything coming to us. We have everything coming to us. Have you ever given something away because you got something else better coming? I don't have an example off the top of my head. Ooh, I got one. I have my cracked iPhone right here, right? And I, I, I have the other one already on pre-order. It's going to show up at my house. So I know that other one's coming. What kind of attachment do I have to this old broken iPhone? What kind of attachment do I have to the earthly things of this life? That the coming glory of God and the heaven and the paradise that he has promised me is not going to overshadow and make me forget. We are co-heirs with Christ. Romans 8, 16 through 17 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9 says, Praise be to God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or what? Spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in this last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So this isn't only talking about persecution. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by the fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Maybe now everybody's going to like pull out of the parking lot and be backing into each other and be like, no, it's cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> I know it sounds kind of silly, but aren't cars trivial things? Aren't they all things that will pass away someday? We don't belong to ourselves. We were purchased by Christ. Everything we have, including our bodies, really belong to God. In this life, we work out our decisions and our interactions with people as those who are already on the lifeboat. 
not those scrambling to save ourselves. So the big question to ask as you evaluate yourself, do I understand the gospel and what it means? And am I sharing it with others? The sacrifice that God made on our behalf, on behalf of all humanity, he offered redemption by the blood of his precious son. He caused Jesus to be punished and tortured. He poured out his wrath on the one he loves most to save us. So that all the condemnation that stood against us for our sins would be cast on him. His grace has been freely given to us, and we have received it by trusting him. We trust him with our lives. We trust him with goodness and justice. So we rely on God's justice, and we seek peace with each other, with all the strength that God gives. Because of Jesus, we have peace with God. And because we have peace with God, we have peace with each other. This shapes our speech, our attitudes, our actions, and our lives. I pray that this will bring repentance where it's needed. That it will heal our past. And that it will guide our future. Let's pray. Lord, in so many ways, we, we feel entitled to the things of this world. And we want things to be in our favor. And often, Lord, we're trying to grab everything around us that we can. When, Lord, all we need to do is hang on to you. Because, Lord, through you, all good things are coming. Through you, Lord, all good things are given. So take the world, but give me Jesus. Lord, lead us to forgive. Lead us to be um, ambassadors of peace, to be leaders when it comes to offering forgiveness, Lord. And we know that your Holy Spirit empowers us to do that. And so that is for what we pray. Lord, give us peace. And Lord, we pray you would protect the future of this church, this group of believers, Lord that you would build us up strong and use us in powerful ways for your glory. And Lord, that you would heal our past, heal our hurts. Lord, and that you would use all of that for your good and your glory as you shape us into your people. Lord, we do this with confidence, with your spirit in our hearts. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.